Announced before. Oh, yeah, shit. I've never, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Either way, uh, should we just jump right into this shit? Totally, totally. All right. Well, hey everybody, welcome to Horror Vomit, where we talk about horror movies so you don't have to. My name is Chris Faff, and I am your host. And I am joined by a very, very special guest today. Who are you, sir? Hi, my name's Andy. Andy Sell. I don't know why I said it. Like, <laughs> hi, I'm Andy. Andy Sell. Andy. Is my middle name as well? It's not. It's not. That's a lie. Uh, hi, I'm Andy. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, usually I have the guests choose a movie, but having listened to your work, I knew that I would get a list 300 movies long. So I pulled the trigger on this. And today we're talking about Anything for Jackson from 2020, written by Keith Cooper and directed by Justin G. Dick. What do you know about those two? uh it's dyke uh i Is it? i yeah i i had the same thing i was like how do you, it's dick right it's dick and then i listened to a couple things he was on and they they said it dyke every time so i was like because it's yeah it's like one of those names where you're like either way yeah i feel like i i might be saying it wrong <laughs> uh <laughs> but yeah it's that uh I, what i know about them is that so uh, let me just say real quick i'm really glad that you picked this movie i love this film I yes. saw it at Nightstream last year, 2020, the Nightstream Virtual Film Festival, which was this film festival that was a bunch of different festivals kind of coming together to create one virtual entity from all of the films that they had been that they had programmed to play their each individual festival. It was Brooklyn Horror Fest, Popcorn Frights, Overlook, I think maybe Telluride and a few others kind of put their programming together to create this festival. And that's where I first saw anything for Jackson and immediately loved it. And what I know about Justin Dyke and Keith Cooper is that they have made, well, Justin Dyke specifically has directed 30 movies in six years. Have you seen any of them? I have not. But I want to now. So do I. Yeah, I, I wanted. They, yeah, they're known mainly for doing like family and holiday films. <laughs> and yeah. I really respect the shit out of him because reading an interview with him, he's like, you know what? It might not have been my project, but I showed up to work every day. I learned something new on set every day. And finally, we got a chance to make our own movie. So we fucking did. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's really refreshing. I feel like a lot of filmmakers, especially now, younger filmmakers kind of have this like you, you got to get out there and do it you got to do your dream you can't you know and they he he says that if he hadn't spent the last six years making these sort of made to order yeah you know kind of corporate <laughs> yeah. uh, family friendly tv movies films that just, he was being tasked with exactly than- so he was able to treat it like a day job and so he just learned the craft that way and owned it that way, as opposed to, you know, putting every bit of himself into every thing, like, like every film's a passion project. He, he, so he, you don't get burned out and you just learn to be super effective and economic when it comes to cinematic storytelling that way. And he's, he said in an interview I read with him where he was like, I don't know that I would have been able to make anything for Jackson 
as well mm -hmm. as I did if I had made it six years ago, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's refreshing to see a filmmaker that, that is like, yeah, that's how I got good. <laughs> yeah. I went and did it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. this, this film is also starring Sheila McCarthy as Audrey, Julian Richings as Henry, Constantina Mantelos as Becker, Josh Crotus as Ian and Lynette Ware as Detective Bellows. Yes. Yeah. And I, I guess, uh, what's his name? Yannick. Yes. Yannick, Yannick Bisson as Rory. <laughs> Rory's and the I, best. <laughs> he's so great. And that all of these characters and these actors are all phenomenal. Like they're all doing so much with their characters and the characters are all written so well. Yes. And that's a thing that I love in, in film, whether it's horror or any other genre in general is just, if you can give me a character, even if it's a tiny character that only has one scene, yeah. If you give me a character that's like fleshed out and feels like an actual person with like, you know, uniqueness uh -huh. I, immediately, I, I, I fall in love with your world and I'm way more apt to believe whatever your movie throws at me. Yeah. And so when we were kind of talking about doing this, I think we both realized that this movie has some problems, but it's so goddamn good that I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those. The first time I saw it at the film at the Nightstream Festival, and that's the thing too, is there's this like festival brain thing that happens when you watch a film that way, even if it's virtual. I've noticed where I turn my critical evaluation brain on a yeah. little too much, possibly. Yeah. And it's like, well, I have this issue and that issue with it, uh, but I've watched it twice since then, and both times it's just been like, you know what? Sure, the ending feels a little rushed. It feels a little weird, but also. I kind of like that about it, that it, uh -huh. that it gets chaotic at the end there. It sort I, of gives it this like Suspiria or Inferno type feeling where it's just, oh, you're just running through a haunted house at this yeah. point. And I, I think I figured out why I like this. And it's not an exact one-to-one -one comparison, but I watched this movie pretty much in the same vein as like Stuart Gordon films where mm -hmm. it's scary, but it's still kind of funny and it's yeah. still goofy and silly. This movie has such a sense of humor to it. It is such a great, um, I want to say Canadian sense of humor. That's sort yeah. of like, it's kind of, it's like not quite as dry as, it's not quite as dry as like British humor, yeah. but it's also not as like har har as American humor. It's, it's, it's dis it feels distinctly Canadian yeah, in it, how sophisticated it, but simple it is. And it, it feels I mean, obviously they wrote it probably intentionally with some humor, but the way the characters deliver it is not humorful. So it's that accidental, like when they're resurrecting the bird and he tells, or uh, Henry tells Audrey, you can't be bringing things back to life. And she says, of course I can. I've been doing it all morning. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. love it. Audrey in general, that character is so funny because she is this sort of proper grandma lady yeah. she's she's gammy she's your she's your nice sweet gammy and she's she's doing these awful she's holding <laughs> this young woman hostage in a bedroom she's literally handcuffed to a bed and she's like well now this is not the way i would like to do this but you yeah, know it must but be done still, be, still being as friendly as she can yeah it's amazing yeah. Yeah, I, now I don't want to make you seem like the kind of woman that would do this sort of thing when she's like <laughs> matching on yeah. 
you know, Tinder or whatever. What? (laughs) Oh my word. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Swearing's not good for our baby. Yeah. It's yeah. She's, she's wonderful. And that's the other thing, this film, you know, I love all this, the surrounding characters so much, even what's his name, Colin, the guy yeah. in the who's throwing a fucking fit in Again, the in Dr. Henry's office. one scene. <laughs> yeah, it's all about his HPV, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's terrific, but also just when you when you make a film that's this small world, that's this focused on 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 this one story, it really is going to come down to your two leads mm-hmm. or or your three leads, I guess in this case, and it's it's going to come down to what they can do as actors what the director can do to like kind of you know guide the performances yes and and just and the writing too it's all got to be there for these lead characters and it's all there it's and all they, there and they nail it they nail it they nail it henry julian richings i could just stare at his face for two <laughs> hours he is such an interesting face and it's he's he's that kind of actor too that like you know we call a character actor yeah because most of his roles are going to be you know playing i don't know mps or something or he's the gardener in the butcher's block season of channel zero the the best way i could think of to describe him is his face almost looks like a plague doctor's mask exactly yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's he he kind of does and especially when sir got the demon yeah. Surgot shows up and he's got that sort of bird, that sort of Skeksis plague yeah. mask bird face. And it's, and you're like, Oh, Julian, you're like, Oh, that's what he reminds me of. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's great. And it's so great to see an actor like him getting an opportunity to play a sympathetic leading man role yeah. in this as a character actor, you know, it's great to see, to see him getting to, to do that. And yeah, he's so, he's so fantastic. His, that scene where he screams out in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because the detective had just called and he realized that he's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing that I love is it at the beginning of this film, it seems like they have a pretty good plan going. And then Henry just fucks it up immediately. Oh yeah. Well, and it's because of Colin and yeah. Yolanda and the fact that people are waiting in the area, like it's that chaos thing. It's that, that farce. It's farce. Yes. It's, it's farce. It's almost even screwball comedy in that moment. But it's also like, well, this is the kind of shit that happens that you're going to have to account for if you ever want to try to make some elaborate plan to summon a demon to possess <laughs> a pregnant <laughs> right. woman so that you can have your dead grandson back. And you got to think these things through. Uh-huh. And even if you do think them through, sometimes, you know, there's going to be X factors. There's going to be wild cards that you don't see coming. And this is, just one of those days, I guess. Because all I could think of was that, oh, they're still using her cell phone. Oh, that's pinging off every tower and they know exactly <laughs> where her phone is. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, Audrey and Henry are old and they don't realize that's a thing. They don't, they don't know how cell phones work. No, and it's great. And, and that's even a trope, right? The idea of like the older people, the boomers that don't know how technology works. Yes. Grandma and grandpa don't know how to program a VCR was, was the trope when I was a kid. And now it's this thing where she has to, she's trying to figure out the technology of a cell phone. But even in a larger picture, it's two old folks not understanding the technology of summoning a demon. Yeah. And I guess just to it, like, I don't want to say not his understanding of the world, but the very first sequence when he's saying, you know, Audrey, I appreciate everything that you do for me, but one of the hems on my pants is a little short. I don't want people thinking I'm some sort of rapper guy. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And then she just throws it right back to him with, I don't think anyone's ever going to mistake you for a rapper guy. Yeah. So when this movie first hit Shudder, I almost ended up not watching it because for some reason I would have to stream Shudder from my phone to TV and the sound didn't come through. Oh. So I thought that they had done that entire first sequence just in silence. Oh, and I no. got really pissed off. <laughs> It's like, oh, you sons of bitches. This isn't artsy, you <laughs> bastards. And then I quickly realized that just the sound was completely out. Oh, and that's not good. Yeah, it took like two weeks for them to get it. And then I finally ended up watching it. And I was just gobsmacked with how much I loved this. It, it's just it's just incredible. And it is it goes to show. And there are a lot. I mean, Shudder. I, I love Shudder. Oh, and yes. There are things, you know, there's certain buggy things they got that I wish they would address interface wise, but whatever. I I watch most of their shutter, most of their originals. Uh, yes. I feel like some are, I'm not in love with some of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they that's have a number. <laughs> yeah. They have a number that are great. And that's the thing is they have this sort of business model of just, well, we're going to just kind of buy everything up that, that we think is interesting and we're just going to put it all out there. And, you know, as a result, you get some stuff that's kind of like, eh, I don't care for this, but you get a lot of stuff that is really unique and really compelling. And yeah. this is one of the, this, I think this and host, host and great. scare me, I think are my three, three of my, they're three of my favorite films from the last, you know, year or so. And they all happen to be shutter originals. <laughs> yeah. I said, I, I honestly, I think this may be my favorite film of 2020. It might not be the best, but it was my favorite. I can see that. I can, like, I can definitely see that. It doesn't hold the weight of like an invisible man or his house, but I don't really have fun watching those movies because they're so fucking serious that like, oh man, like that was a bummer when you get to the end of it, but Hell, yeah. the end of anything for Jackson. Yeah, all right. The ending's not strong, but eh, fuck it. The rest of yeah. it is great. <laughs> yeah, the ending is kind of where, you know, um, limited budget and limited resources kind of yeah. becomes sort of apparent. But it's also, that's kind of what I like about the rest of the film's aesthetic. It's very, it's, it's very Canadian television, and that's a very specific aesthetic, I think, yeah. that... I think maybe some people might be here. You say that and go, wait, what does that mean? It's like, and especially Canadian television, family friendly horror, I think is where I kind of apply it. Like, are you afraid of the dark? Oh, R.L. Stein's yeah. the haunt. R.L. Stein's the haunting hour. Uh, yeah. Stuff like that. It, it feels, it has that feel to it. And a lot of it feels very kind of stage play. Um, but in a good way, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, uh, to, to say it's small world, like there's this, especially that opening sequence where it's just that static shot really mm -hmm. of the kitchen and them sitting there and then they go, they get up to go do something. They leave the, the, the stage yeah, they, as they it essentially were. run out. <laughs> yeah. And you're just kind of sitting there contemplating this empty room for a while. Yes before it, the reveal of what they're doing comes in. Yeah. And it's just so great. It's just such a great way to do things. And the, the use of practical effects and the use of actual actors in costume and makeup and, and you know, wardrobe and, and effects stuff to, to pull off the scare sequences rather than doing CG or visual effects work 
it's another again where it's it's very made for television and almost very Canadian made for television. Yeah. And that that works for it. That works in its favor, I think. The the first time I saw this, I wasn't real ecstatic about the ghosts but then when i learned more about the actual film of oh they were very limited in the amount of resources that they had it does make me kind of forgive it because i remember watching this the first time and thinking like "Ooh, that lady saw in her teeth out that doesn't look great (laughs) (laughs) yeah but they play it so well like that's the other thing too is that if you when you're working with limited resources and as a filmmaker that's made 30 of these, you know, family and often Christmas movies for, for television, Justin Dyke's going to learn tricks about how to hide your limited resources and how to play it to your advantage. And even that scene with the flossing ghost where, you know, there's such a buildup to the reveal of her and, and it's just kind of, it's, it's an, it's a buildup in escalation where first you see her back and, you, you kind of know something's going on. Yeah. And he thinks and it's Audrey. He thinks yeah. it's Audrey and there's a little bit of dread. And then you see her feet and her feet don't look right. And yeah. then a tooth drops. Yeah, Cause her and feet then, are all bloody and gross. Yeah. Yeah. And then a tooth drops on the floor and then she turns around and starts walking forward. And then another tooth drops and you see his reaction to it. He, you see his, the expression on Julian Riching's face. Yes. And, before they show you the, 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 the practical effects work they did on the actress's face with the floss and the, the teeth and the mouth and the gums and the blood and the hey, hey, hey. Yeah. It just builds up to that. And they kind of do the same thing with the trick-or-treat ghost and the suffocating ghost who is, wow, what a yes. sequence that is. <laughs> That's pretty fucking intense. Yeah. Twisty, twisty Troy James is having... <laughs> has had quite a moment the last few years with all this, the work he's been getting. And, and I love it. And I hope he continues to do stuff like this. Uh, Cause I don't know if you've seen channel zero. I've the, seen the first two seasons, I believe. They're, I love. Okay. I like season three. I love seasons two and four. Four is the one that Tristy, Tro- Twisty Troy James is in. Oh yeah. yeah. He, he plays pretzel Jack and it is. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's an, just an intense season all around. It's very yeah. good. So yeah. what I want to talk about that I thought was very interesting was I was reading an interview with Justin G. Dyke, and he was talking about how all the ghosts that come for them were based on dream analysis. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's Keith Yeah, Cooper's... like Julian Richings. I forget what his fear is, but yeah, it correlates to falling teeth falling out mm-hmm. in your dreams. And uh, like Becker being bound is you know, suffocating. So she gets the suffocating ghost. Yeah. Ian doesn't like being laughed at. So he gets the giggling ghost. Yeah. It's so fucking good. All right. Yeah. Should we talk about Ian for a minute? <laughs> uh, I, yes. Okay. So Ian is this fucking a, guy. <laughs> Ian is a very, it's a very, he's a very Stephen King character. You know, if you, if you're familiar with how Stephen King always has, like, there's always the supernatural threat. But the real problem is usually a human character. Yeah, this fucking it's, weirdo. <laughs> yeah, and it's usually yeah, it's usually an antisocial kind of psychotic loner type, uh, which Ian is super incel guy. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, very uncomfortable around women. Women, even the way he says "woman" when yeah. he's referencing Becker when he's in the room and he's like, "Put some salt around this 
woman. woman. <laughs> it's just like, oh, buddy, you live in your mom's basement. And then we find out that he does. Yes. <laughs> and I, I was reading some reviews. Uh, somebody said something about, you know, like, Ian, what an unbelievable character. Like, no, no, no. I know people like that. <laughs> uh, uh, 100%. Uh, I, yeah, I... <laughs> One of I, my best friends in high school was that guy. Yeah. Like I, I specifically know that dude. <laughs> like, Yeah. Same then, hair, same face, everything. Yep. And I, again, going back to the comedy, I love when he's telling Henry, you know, put some salt around uh, kosher, make sure it's kosher. And Henry says something about, uh, oh, will that keep him away? And he just responds with, I don't fucking know Henry, but they say I, it works. So just do it. <laughs> I don't fucking know Henry. Yeah. It's, <laughs> That line is great because, well, that moment is great because there's, it says so much about Henry. Yes. And, and, uh, well, sorry about Ian. And it, it says that he doesn't really know what he's doing, but he thinks he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Because previous to that, he says, oh, I've been practicing for this my whole life. Of course I know what I'm doing. Yeah. But he doesn't. Yeah. With the salt. I don't fucking know Henry. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Him saying, I don't know. It means like, okay, we're in, we're, it says we're in uncharted territory with, yeah. with his stuff where, you know, nothing is going to be helpful. But also it just says like, he's just in this because he finally has found a, a situation where he can have some authority. Yeah. And he's never had that. And that tends to not work out so well when people who have never had authority in their entire yeah. lives finally get some. It's like, mm, this usually goes wrong. Yeah. So when it, it kind of sets that up as well. When you give a psychopath free reign to torture people in this house. Yeah. And I also, I, I absolutely love the part. I guess we should back it up because uh, Detective Bellows calls Henry and said, no, why don't we meet at your house? You know, I'll be there in about 10 minutes, walks in and she has Audrey on the ground, handcuffed or zip tied. And, you know, Mr. or Dr. Walsh, get on the ground. You're under the arre- under arrest for the kidnapping of I forget her first name, but Becker Sh- Shannon, I think Shannon. Yeah, that sounds about right. Shannon Becker and you know, Becker starts screaming and <laughs> Officer Bells looks at her and says, ma'am, you're going to need to calm down. I will get you free. But right after this, and just <laughs> I just have to do this one thing. blows her fucking brains out of her skull. Yeah. And I, I love that they they isolate that moment too, and have it be a repetitive sort. It's um, it's almost like a metronome that they apply to the the ceremony and the haunting and the, yeah. the appearings or whatever. Yeah, because there's a sequence again where I think it's just Henry and Audrey in the room, and she comes back in and does it for the first time, and they're shocked as shit. Yeah. And then they put down the salt and Ian walks in and she walks up behind him and blows her brains out again. And Audrey just responds with, she's been doing that all night. (laughs) She's just exhausted by these ghosts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At that point, it's just kind of like Craig T. Nelson and Poltergeist, right? Where it's just like, yeah, yeah, this is how this is life now. This is normal. This is our new normal. But I really like the attention that they paid because Ian comes in and puts down like, almost like a trail of blood in front of the door and says, this will repel the ghosts even more. And you see Becker walk up to the door again to try and enter and blow her brains out. And she just kind of stands at the door confused and walks away. Mm -hmm. It's so fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's so much, there's so much. And I want to talk again about the, the dream thing, the dream analysis regarding the ghosts for a second, because there's, I mean, there's so much going on in this film. 
And a big part of it is, yeah, you've got to feel sympathy for, for Henry and Audrey for this to work as a film, for this to be a story that an audience will want to watch. And they really do kind of walk that line in a very like breaking bad way where you see the reasons for this horrible thing that they're doing. Yes. And it's still, you know that it's wrong, but you still like them and you still kind of want it to work out for them, even though you know it absolutely cannot. There is yeah. no happy ending here. For and anyone. There, no. there can't be. And and that's the tragedy of it. But it also kind of is this sort of commentary, right, on like their generation and specifically white affluent people from their generation and sort of the, the sense of entitlement and privilege at work there where it's just like, oh, well, we suffered this tragedy and we don't like it. So we're going to change it. And it doesn't matter how it affects anyone else as long as we get what we want. Exactly. And it they is. Went, they went through all the trouble of even soundproofing a room. Yeah. Yeah. To make sure that this happens. And it, yeah. yeah, it's, it is a very good commentary of, like you said, older affluent white people that don't face repercussions. And it's that way, even now with everything pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And it's sort of like, you want to put the James Franco ballad of Buster Scruggs meme on it too, where it's like, Oh, you suffered a loss. Is it your first time? You know, it's <laughs> kind of like everyone else in the world is like, well, tragedy is a part of life, but these, you know, this generation who complains about participation trophies and the like, they're like, well, we got to get our way. So we're going to get Satan involved. And I just, I think that's very funny. In, in itself. They should have gotten Stephen Root covered in pans involved oh as well. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fantastic. Just have Stephen Root run in and just yell, pan shot and leave. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> but they, they're not honest with themselves and they're not honest with other characters. And I think that's, you know, the dream analysis read on these ghosts reveals that in that. So the, the, film, the film is called Anything for Jackson, right? Yes which is that's their justification. That's their, that's their reason for doing the awful thing they're doing. That's the reason for kidnapping this woman. That's their reason for putting, I don't know, the entire earth in jeopardy by summoning a demon. Yes. Like that's so any, anything for Jackson. That's it's all for Jackson. And Henry even says it, that you cannot have a moral debate with me. I've made a deal with the devil. Oh, I got to love that line. There's that's what is so good about this because it's not just fun. Like we brought up a lot of the silly, funny lines, but there are parts in this that are intensely scary. Oh, the scene where Audrey is reading her pre-prepared statement to, to Becker. It's fucking and she's, bone chilling. It, yeah, she's doing this whole kind of meet and greet housekeeping stuff up top. And then it gets to, we've decided that this is the best way for you to go missing. And it's like this, the hairs are standing up on the back of your neck. Yeah. Because it's just like, whoa, that took a turn. And the film does that and it walks that line so well. And so I think so few movies in the genre are able to deal with such heavy and chilling material, but at the same time also like bring a levity to it and a sense of humor to it, but then be able to turn on a dime exactly. with this like, oh, here's something that's kind of funny and a joke. <laughs> but wait, here's why we're really here. Think about this for a second. Yeah. And so but on, on the subject of this, this idea that, that it's their whole title. The whole title of the film is anything for Jackson. That's their justification. It's also a lie. That is not why either one of them are doing this. Nope. And that's, that's the key. And these ghosts reveal that in, in a way where specifically in the sense of, uh, of who they're really invested in here and who like for Henry, he even expels it out in a scene where he's speaking to Becker that he's doing yeah. this just because his wife wants to. 
Yes, and there are several scenes in that in this film where we, and not to turn this in another direction, but we get to know who every character is pretty early on. And it's yeah. pretty clear that Henry is, I don't want to say subservient to his wife, but is one of those, you know, happy wife, happy life kind of guys yeah. that is willing to do anything for her. And she yeah. is willing to domineer any situation. <laughs> well, right. It's that sweet, that sweet I romantic ideal, right? Yes. Where it's like he's masculine, but he's but he's not aggressive. Yes. He's he's you know, he's sensitive, but he's not um henpecked. He's kind of this, he's just a good dude who loves his wife and wants to give her the life that she wants and wants to do whatever she wants to do because he's found his purpose. And that is to make her happy. And that is such a sappy hallmark greeting card, romantic ideal. But we also all can universally recognize, well, that's sweet, but here's the dark side of that. Yeah. Here is where that goes wrong. And the, it's revealed through the very fact that the first time he sees the floss and ghost, she's in a nightdress. She's, she's standing at, Audrey's sink yes flossing her teeth and he thinks it's Audrey so she's conflated I you know identity wise with Audrey so that is the sort of the tell that like yes the 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 idea of losing your teeth in a dream is is representative of the loss of control but in this the very fact that it's kind of associated with Audrey and and a mundane intimate uh, everyday activity like watching someone else floss is the banality of that is just so telling as to where Henry's motivation lies here. And in the case of Audrey, it's the ghost she sees as the trick or treat ghost. Yes. And by giving us that whole backstory about their daughter and her Halloween costume, yes, we see that even Audrey isn't doing this for Jackson. She's doing it because she feels like she failed as a mother. And this is another opportunity to redeem herself as a mother. Yep, because the, the catalyst for all of this was Audrey was driving a car with her daughter and Jackson in it. And as Henry in that exposition dump kind of lets us know that Yes, she was driving the car and she was probably distracted because she always had to fidget with Jackson when he was in the car because she was so protective over him that she wasn't paying attention. Yeah. So, yeah, it was never for Jackson. It was no. for her to alleviate her guilt. Yeah. And, and the that fact that that's not even revealed until like towards the two thirds of the way of the film that she yeah. was driving the car like any, you know, I, I don't want to name names, but there are writers and directors working in Hollywood doing big name productions in the genre who would have put that in the opening scene uh -huh. and it would have ruined any of the of the magic of the reveal. Yeah. Like the fact that we don't know that until that far in it's all there's so much subtext at work in this film and it's just such so many writers and directors could take notes from this uh -huh. movie one thing that i wanted to get to as well i as good as sheila mccarthy and julian richings are in this film i really think uh constantina mantelos or becker steals the show she's so she, good she she's has so good. the ability to convey almost words she has how do i want to say this she has a the same talent as like al pacino where al pacino can get across an idea with a look or with mm -hmm. his eyes and she is so mm -hmm. goddamn good at this she's so good at it it 
it blew my mind rewatching it and really focusing in on her performance that I was like, God damn. Yeah. I think she steals every scene that she's in. Yeah. Well, because, and that's difficult to do when the script is so clearly, you know, giving you the story of Henry and Audrey. And she's like, again, a lesser film, a lesser filmmaker would kind of just have her in there as, as set dressing. She yes. would, she would be a prop more than a character, but because, and again, so many of these performances are actors playing subtext as opposed to supertext or as opposed to the actual dialogue they're given, you know, they're playing their, their real motives as, as characters. And she's doing that. I arguably more so than anyone else in the movie, because she's, you know, you believe her in that scene where she's like, Oh, I'll be Jackson's mom. I'll help yeah. you. You need my I just, help. I just want to be with my baby. Yeah. She's so convincing there, but you also can see the like lie in it. You One of the most chilling scenes to me, which I think, and it wasn't just her performance. I think it was the way it was written was the first time that the, yeah, the bag over the head, the suffocation ghost. Yeah. When it starts biting her stomach and she starts screaming yeah. for yeah. Uh, I fuck, I didn't write down their last name. Um, Walsh, Mrs. Yeah. Walsh, Mrs. Walsh. It's like, oh man, when your go-to is to scream for the people that are holding you captive. <laughs> yeah, that means you're scared. <laughs> that, it just brings an extra level of just, holy fucking shit, this is chilling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so, she's terrific. She's terrific. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a weak performance in the film. No. I don't think that there's a weak a moment in the script as far as like what you what you need in the film I, I i still have kind of their the ceremony i'm like i'd like a little more i, I was just gonna mention bring up that we should probably talk about the ceremony yeah or not not i guess not the ending ceremony but the uh satanic get together oh, at the community uh, center oh that that part is great that part it is, is great. so perfect because if you looked away and didn't see them entering that, the way that it's shot when they're all sitting in the circle, it looks like, you know, they could be having an actual meeting in a basement somewhere. And it pans out to show them, like, you know, the window with the nice day outside and the yeah. table with refreshments set up. Yeah. It's well, so goddamn funny. Even that scene where, I mean, even... Um, sorry, is it Yolanda? Is it the the woman that's running... Yes, Yolanda. Yeah, Yolanda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I mistook earlier. I, I whoever Doctor Walsh's. Uh, oh, the receptionist. Receptionist is. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I don't know if we even learn her name. But so this woman running the the ceremony, her introduction too. She's like mid conversation with someone, and she's like, "Well, I got to eat. You know, I got to eat." And it's just like <laughs> I love that. Anytime a filmmaker takes the time to just put that in, where it's like. Yeah, give them a little bit of dialogue of story that we don't know anything about so that we yeah. feel like we're in a real world. It's just such a, that, that's the, like the brown M&Ms, you know? It's that kind of a detail <laughs> that like lets me know I'm in good hands. Yes. But also that reveal where she's like, my boyfriend made snacks for everybody. And she looks directly at Ian and says, but we should wait till the meeting's over to enjoy them. And Ian's reaction is so just like, yeah, whatever, fine. <laughs> Like when you can take a moment like that, that's like, yes, it's funny. Yes. It's kind of just there for exposition a little bit, but you're also building character in it. 
it's just it's, it's there's not a wasted moment in no. this film and this so something i had fun with this might just be for me but i really like that they didn't go too far into how they got this book because it's a thousand some odd year old book and i really like the explanation for hey where'd you get that book is pretty much shut up that's where we yeah, got it yeah yeah <laughs> right. I found a guy online, you know, yeah. and he had it and then I went there and I got it, whatever. Cause that's one thing that like, I, truth be told, I was really stoned. So I, I got kind of into my head of just like, I wonder how many drafts they went through where, you know, Oh, well, we should show him going through all this. Like, Oh no. Well, what if he, you know, meets a guy in a, in a dark alley? No, that's stupid. Well, we'll just say he just met a dude. <laughs> I <Yeah>. love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's all you need, you know, yeah. you don't need, I think a lot of filmmakers and there is a, if the movie were a cursed object film, you know, specifically like Oculus or something of that nature, oh, or one plain, of the, one of the, God, I love Oculus so much. Uh, or, or one of the later Amityville official Amityville movies that are all about the cursed objects. And it's like, if that's your movie, sure. Give us the backstory of the object. Give us like, oh, this thing was built by a Hungarian, you know, cat catastrophist cult in 1431. And these are the people that killed over the ensuing decades and centuries. Like, sure. Like this the, isn't that movie. Like, was it? I always forget the order. Is it Hellraiser five or six where they show, show the show the toy maker? Um, well, four in four, they have Adam Scott is the apprentice i think to the la marchand or whatever with oh, the, guy that, the guy that creates them it's been a while since i've seen I, I lose track after three but i mean the movies lose track after three so <laughs> <laughs> so that's fair um i i think i think my whole thing with hellraiser is that the first two are are masterpieces the third is really great the oh, fourth yeah. is fun and the fifth has some things going for it. And then after that, it, you're kind of in a no man's land where it's just like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> these, these aren't really Hellraiser movies. And so. to people who don't watch as many movies as I'm sure you and I do, after the original Hellraiser, they're like, nah, I'm fine. Yeah, you can probably <laughs> stop. Yeah, most people that aren't like crazy like us can probably stop after two. <laughs> and then and you're good. You don't yeah. need to watch it anymore. But here, starts- I'm this guy. It starts to go real off the wall on three. Yeah, yeah, it does. But But, but he does murder an entire dance floor, which is great. Oh, my God. And you get the Cenobite with the CD player and the camera head guy. (laughs) It's like, come on, a CD player Cenobite? I'm in. I, yeah, if, if you're making a cursed object movie, you want all that stuff. But this isn't that film. This is a... You know, Dyke and Cooper describe it as a reverse exorcism movie, which is fair because essentially that's what it is. But also it fits into the the subgenres of abduction and captivity horror. Yes. And possession horror and mm-hmm. and, and specifically like cult. And, and there's crossovers there, obviously. Yeah. But it, it also kind of because it's working in these two areas where the tropes of the traditional nuclear family are addressed and inverted, you're also kind of getting this commentary on the nature of family and parenthood. And so you get all, you have all this other stuff going on. So you don't even need to talk about the book. No, you can just be like, yeah, I don't know, fucking eBay or something. That's where (laughs) it came from. We don't know. 
I, I met a dude and we don't have a retirement account anymore. That's it. Yeah. Like, oh, good enough for me. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We don't have any money anymore. And that comes, of course, after the scene where Ian is like, you know, a lot of people don't believe this book exists. And it's like, okay, great. That's all we need. We're good. Yeah. I, I tracked down a guy. He already sold it, but I think he sold dog shit. Like, yeah. All right, cool. Let's yeah. move on. I'm good with yeah. that. Yeah. So, all right. Here's what I really wanted to get into. Did they doom the entire earth? So that's where it, it's unclear. And again, it's where like, maybe if we'd had a little more time in that end ceremony and the aftermath. And again, I think I've come to peace with the, the final ritual scene and yes. how, how nuts and out of control it gets because it's yeah. just kind of like, yeah, that kind of shit would probably happen. That's probably about how that would go. And then of course we get that just great ensuing dark ride spook house bit where it's just Becker running through the house and seeing all of this shit happen. And in a very, again, it's a very Suspiria or, you know, last active Inferno kind of deal going on Yeah, where it's just, yeah, we're in the fun house now. And, and I, I'd always love that, but the ending where it's like, okay, what is that figure she's seeing? Is that literally the devil? I, I don't know because what I was led to believe from my interpretation is that Ian didn't follow through with the same spell. Yeah. So, and what I've, what I've gathered from reading, I think a screen rant article by, by some, I can't remember her name. uh, And then by listening to another podcast that Justin Dyke did, he, so Ian didn't do the ritual the way they wanted him to. He, you know, they were summoning Sergot, who was the yes. the bird faced gatekeeper, the gatekeeper demon yeah. guy. Like, I think that's the first monster that we see, correct? Yes, which is what then opens the world up for all the other ghosts. Uh huh. And then, so Ian is trying to do his own thing with it. He's trying to summon. I guess actual devil or some other demon. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's he, never made explicitly clear. I don't believe. No, and he throws the ceremony off by killing Audrey. Audrey, but and saying, "What's the line? Something like a, a mother, mother is, is a mother. mother. A mother's a mother." Uh, which is wow. Again, like what a clear signifier of what a fucking misogynist piece of shit this guy is. Yeah, because he says earlier, I believe that you have to kill the host. And I think that's what leads me down the road of he wasn't performing the second part of the ceremony that they wanted. He was performing something completely different. And then the demon that shows up, according to Justin Dyke, is Vanth, who is this, he describes her as the perpetually pregnant demon, which is, that's an interesting idea. That I want to see a whole movie about that. Yeah, I'll take I, it. <laughs> I, I will watch a fucking sequel to anything for Jackson that is mostly about Vanth. One, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Hi, front row. Thank you. Uh, I yeah. So that's apparently the demon that does appear. I guess by ripping through Henry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and which is again, it's uh, even that's confusing because it's like. I thought the host had to be pregnant for it to work. But again, it's it's unclear, but that almost reinforces the themes of the film. Yes. And I think that that's horror is one of the few genres where you can get away with that. 
because if you try and do that, you know, in like a your typical action or even like suspenseful movie, y- you kind of want answers. But I think in horror, especially with a film like this, it that's the perfect ending. Is just yeah. well, we don't know. Yeah, you and you fill it in. And there are films where I have a problem with it, where you know, if if the the rest of the rules all check out, and then you do something that is a clear violation of your rules, I get a little miffed. I could name names. (laughs) I see. Okay. It follows is one of the ones where I'm like, people say that. And I'm like, I don't see it. I don't see that. I've, I've watched that film so many times looking for the broken rules and I can't see them, but I think, uh, I mean, I'm willing to accept that maybe I'm not just not seeing it. My, my go-to is hereditary. Hereditary is my go-to movie where it's like, you're breaking your fucking rules, man. You set up all of these rules so specifically. And then the entire third act is this complete betrayal of all those rules. And if that's the point, fine. But I don't think that's your point. And we've all seen Rosemary's baby. You didn't need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I have a vendetta with Ari Aster, but that's not what we're talking about. (laughs) Look, I got my own things with that guy. I, I, I come to peace with hereditary. I think Midsummer is trash. Oh, it's unadulterated garbage. <laughs> yeah, I really despise that film. But uh, that, that's what whenever anybody brings that up, I say, oh, you want to watch a Wicker Man-esque movie? Just go watch Apostle. It's 10 yeah. times better. You want to watch Wicker Man without the payoff? Great. <laughs> oh, Apostle is great. Yeah, you're, yeah, Apostle is good. I love that movie. <laughs> I, there's so much good folk horror out there that when people start trumpeting midsummer around i'm like you Mm, should watch blood on satan's claw instead (laughs) or beyond the door three even is better but sorry i forgot where we were (laughs) oh what what i'm saying is that i think that they doomed the earth doing this and i i I I don't want to see a sequel out of this i think this is a perfect place to end yeah no I, i i mean i joke about i guess if i wanted to see a movie about vanth it would have to be a prequel yes and I'd be fine with that. But yeah, I think the ending of this film is, and especially because Becker sort of like, you know, she, she, there's like that cathartic moment with her. I guess it's not cathartic. It is, it is uncertain. It is still kind of bleak um, in almost a, the void or the beyond kind of way. Yeah. But she, she touches her, her, her belly. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> Wrong tube. <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, like, wow, my mixer I... is soaked. <laughs> oh no. It's fine. <laughs> uh she touches her belly in this way that's kind of like, wait, is she so her baby's fine. The baby is not possessed. She's okay, but the world is not. Yeah. And that's sort of like the most 2020 or 2021 thing I can think of, where it's like every time I talk to a friend of mine in the last 15 months. It's always been like, well, yeah, the world is on fire. I'm pretty sure the earth is going to be destroyed and everything sucks, but I'm doing fine. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I right now kinda, I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing okay. And it's sort of like, I just feel like that's Becker's whole ending in this film is just, she's like, well, there's a perpetually pregnant demon walking the earth, <laughs> probably set loose to destroy mankind, but <laughs> me and my kid are going to be okay. Yeah. Everything's fine on my end. Yeah, I can't complain. I mean, I could, but who'd listen? Vanth, so, probably not. She's going to destroy the world. So I. All right, we anyway. should really start wrapping this up. Okay. Um, 
I'm I'm very much looking forward to. I think we have a very good crop of newer horror directors coming out, and I'm very excited to see what these guys do either together or separately. Because I know they've worked together for a long time, so if they continue to, I would love to see it. But I'd love to see what they do on their own as well. Yeah, I think I think they're gonna they're gonna give us some more good stuff. I do know that even after anything for Jackson premiered on Shutter. He was still like directing uh, a, another Christmas movie oh. for TV, <laughs> so he's still he's still working his day job, you know. Which I you know I can respect that, and it's it's funny because I I don't know how much you know about this, but when they pitched the the movie, you know, they had like four weeks to get it together to start shooting to start production. Yeah. They were they were literally in pre production like the day after they pitched it, I think. Yeah, it said that and, their pitch took like five minutes, and they started pre production the next morning. Yeah. God yeah. damn. And and they wrapped production on it literally the day before Canada locked down for COVID. Oh shit. Like like what timing? And I I do now that their productions are starting to happen again, I I really am curious to see what more we're going to get from them because I will watch it. I will watch anything that they make. Yeah. They're they're and I there are a number of filmmakers that are big in the genre right now whose work I do not care for. And they tend to be the people that are doing the higher profile stuff. Yeah. And I don't want to name any names. I mean, we already did one, but, <laughs> um, but like, I will. Nobody, nobody fucking listens to yeah. this. <laughs> okay. That, you know, the, the, the studio's name rhymes with Glumhouse. Uh, yes. <laughs> And just, you know, that, that kind of the, the controversy shit. I'm just like, I don't care about any of these oh, people. Or I what absolutely they have to make. refuse to watch anything based on the Warrens. Go fuck they're, yourself. They're the fucking worst people. They are like, we have a real problem, not to get too off topic here, but the genre has a real sycophancy problem. And we really need to start learning how to be more critical about it. And it really is. There's this like attitude of toxic positivity that runs through fandom that I find reprehensible because it allows irresponsible things like the conjuring movies to happen. Yes. Or, or people like Chris Jericho to be fucking interviewed on, on Joe Bob's show where it's just like, no, we need to be a little choosier about our chosen family. We need to be, we need to start being pickier about the things that we're going to celebrate in this genre because, you know, if we're going to insist on being taken seriously as a genre and we do, we constantly, you know, even hereditary when people were like, Oh, um, Tony Collette should have got an Oscar nomination, you know, it's, and it's like, yeah, I agree. But like, if we're going to insist on being taken seriously, we need to start taking our, our spaces seriously. And we need to get rid of things like the Warrens because it's gross. It's, it's, it's just, it's absolutely reprehensible. Yeah. And uh, sorry. So <laughs> no. And like, I was not to, you know, suck your dick or anything but i was listening to ghoul school earlier this week and when it got into like you know the poughkeepsie tapes and all the you know like gore porn like i'm done with all that i don't need it make yeah. a good movie i have i i have a i have weird conflicting opinions about the gore film world it, it's i i almost actually during this what i wanted to reference uh, a gore film movie that i saw recently that is it, i decided not to because i don't want to recommend it per se but there's some parallels <laughs> <laughs> and uh if you're brave enough as a viewer the movie is called vomit and uh or not jesus christ it's called i just said the name of this podcast <laughs> 
Good God. There's a lot of vomit in the movie. Um, it's called Fetus, and it is a gore film. Like, it's literally the, the director's authorship credit is a gore film by this guy. And it's, it's, it's a rough watch. So maybe I shouldn't even be recommending. I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying I watched it, and I have conflicting emo- uh, emotions about it. But, and that's fine. We can, have, we can have conversations where there's nuance and there are conflicting opinions and where we don't always agree on things. But I also do think that certain things we need to just draw a line about. And one yes. of those things is like the Warrens. And this is all a really roundabout way of just saying like, there's a lot of filmmakers whose work I don't care for right now. And, and even, even some of them, I'll watch their bigger, higher profile stuff that's getting released, mostly just so I can you know, keep in the conversation, but yes. also because occasionally they do something that I like. But there are also so many up and coming, just under the radar, independent horror filmmakers who are just doing amazing stuff. And, and Justin Dyke and Keith Cooper are, are two of those filmmakers. I, I'll watch anything that they have to offer. Yeah, and that's why, like, I think last week I was explaining my the guests that I had. Um, yeah, at the beginning of the show, I like to go through writer, director, cast, because I think it's important for us to get, or I mean, obviously I'm not that big of an outlet, but to get the names out there. Like, when we watched Southbound, like, I didn't oh, know who man. Roxanne Benjamin was, but I'm going to go check out her work now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. There's... Southbound's so great. It's really good. <laughs> Southbound is so much fun. And that's that team's, I think that's my favorite of that team's work of the, the radio silence folks. Uh, right. That's them. Yes. My, yeah. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but although their, their fucking end segment in VHS is killer. The With haunted Lewis. house. The, oh, haunted, the haunted house, house one. Fucking great. It's so great. <laughs> And there's just, I mean, there's so much of this stuff out there. Again, Scare Me. I loved Scare Me so much that I can't wait for that filmmaker. Again, I believe I believe his name is Josh Rubin. He's got a werewolf movie coming out that I can't wait for. I just saw Seder on Shudder, which I fell in love with. I've, I've passed it by and looked at it and thought, hmm, I should probably bookmark that. That looks really good. It's really good. It's very unique. And it's one of those movies that I wouldn't recommend it if you can't fully pay attention to it while you're watching it. And it is going to require you to be like awake because it's, it's very slow and deliberate. Yes. So it, it's, it's the kind of movie that like, if you're even a little bit tired, you might start snoozing while you watch it. But if you, if you pay attention to it, it's, it's really rewarding. So it's like an Oz Perkins film. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's another thing. <laughs> you and I share that. I fucking love Oz Perkins. O- Oz Perkins is maybe my favorite filmmaker right now. And I was, what, uh, literally anything he does, I'll watch. I was very conflicted to say whether anything for Jackson or Gretel and Hansel was my favorite film of 2020 because they're both right up there. Man, I... So the year when Gretel and Hansel opened, I was actually at a, the L.A., the theater, the Regal Theater at L.A. Live downtown. I was there to see, to try to get into a Halloween Kills screening. And it was one of those things where, like, of course, fucking everybody in line gets turned away because we're all in the industry. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things where, like, oh, yeah, we found out via social media that you're actually involved in genre fandom, so you can't watch the movie. It was, like, one of those things. Oh, great. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah but i but so me and my friend were like well fuck what are we gonna do and it's like well i want to see gretel and hansel 
So we watched it and I was just like, you know what? Fuck Halloween kills. Yeah. I don't give a shit about Halloween kills anymore. I, I, I did. I did. Hansel is amazing. But, yeah. Uh, I love any, and Hansel. Any final thoughts for anything for Jackson? I, you know, just see it. If you haven't watched, if you're listening to this and you're wondering if you should watch it, I think we've made it abundantly clear that you should watch it. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I do think I just, it's the kind of movie we need more of. Yes, absolutely. Just in general. And, and I, you know, I mean, of course, I mean that aesthetically, but also just movies where they're trying to be something else. You know, yes. they're, the filmmakers are trying to do something you haven't maybe seen before. Or I'll boil that down a little more and just say, a movie that's trying. That, that, <laughs> yeah. That's just, that's such a relief nowadays where I can yeah. tell like, oh, you actually cared about your film. Yeah. That's refreshing. Yeah. And ultimately, you know what? It's a movie about love and it's a movie about uh, the things that we're invested in and what, how we relate to each other as people. And we just need more of that. You know, yeah. I, any time that is, is clear in a movie, I think you're doing the right thing. I, I completely agree. We need far more septuagenarian satanic kidnappers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me more movies where like older character actors are the stars and I'm in. Was it The Visit? <laughs> that was... Oh, well, except <laughs> that maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot. I'll tell you, there's a lot coming out that I'm excited about yes. this year that I, I just can't wait for. And, uh, and it, I know that I have sometimes a reputation of being like kind of a curmudgeon or like grumpy about the genre, because a lot of times the conversation centers around stuff that I don't really like. Yeah. But so I love these opportunities to get to talk about something that's like, no, man, this movie fucking rules. Yeah. And it makes is... me feel good about being on this planet. Yeah. And that's what I always, you know, some of the bigger name movies it's oh yeah horror movies for people that don't know anything about horror yeah that's and, i mean <laughs> which that's, it's fine it's absolutely fine you know to everyone involved in that make your money do what you need to do but just know that there's better stuff out there yeah it's yeah. like saying i don't really like country music but i like johnny cash <laughs> it's like well then no. you like country music <laughs> yeah well, dig a little deeper because there's other shit too. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. That's the thing where it's, you know, no, ask yourself some questions, you know, ask yourself some questions, interrogate, interrogate your interests, you know, mm -hmm. challenge yourself sometimes with something that maybe, you know, is, is that's the other thing too, is I think, especially now our viewing habits, especially after a year of just everybody being home and just watching Netflix or Hulu or HBO Max while also checking their phones and not really paying attention to what they're viewing. You know, I, I think it's a good habit to try to get or good, good practice to try to get actively into the habit of active watching mm -hmm. of like of turning your phone off and putting it away and, and, and watching something that's maybe like, well, I'm not really in the mood for this right now. No, the next time you pass something when you're scrolling and you're like, this looks interesting and I've heard good things or it's got this actor I like in it. Uh, but it's not one of the big things everybody's talking about on Twitter, but I'm not really in the mood for it right now. The next time you find yourself going, I'm not really in the mood for this right now. Fuck it. Hit play uh -huh. and just challenge yourself to be there and to view it and to see what you can take away from it. Exactly. And, yeah. That's, I guess that's what I have to say about movies in general. <laughs> <laughs> All um, right. Andy, have you got anything that you would like to plug? 
I have uh, there's a, there are going to be a couple new episodes of Ghoul School coming soon. I also have a brand new podcast called Look Good for the Boys. It's amazing. Which, oh, you like? Oh, thank you so much. I don't it know is, who even listens I, to it. I, I say this in the best way possible. It is incredibly stupid, but supremely entertaining. <laughs> it's, it's so dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb, but it's also like the most fun I've had in forever. It's me and my best friend, Philip, and we talk about horror movies through a very queer, sex positive, gossipy high school kind of lens. Uh, it's, 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 we call it a horror gossip podcast. And it basically is literally shit as dumb as like, Hey, fuck, Mary kill Freddie, Michael, or Jason, you know, <laughs> it's that kind of stuff. And, my, and it's, I love it. My personal favorite was the, uh, rating all the hollow or not Halloween le- leprechaun murders. <laughs> yeah. From hot or not. <laughs> uh, well, I got, I got something for you. If you like the hot or not alive stuff, uh, keep your eyes, keep your ears tuned to the podcast because coming up in roughly a month, we're going to have some good, uh, Friday the 13th content for you. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> that's really expensive. Ex- well, <laughs> Oh God, we have been working on it for a while and, uh, it's, I don't know. Again, it's, it's so dumb, but it's the most fun I've had in a, in a long time. And I really, I'm glad it really makes me happy to hear that you, that you listen to it and you like it because I don't know. It's just one of those things where I'm like, I don't have to do research for this. I don't have to like grill myself for hours editing it. It's just kind of like me and Philip meet up and Philip does do a lot of work for the show. He actually does most of the producing for it, but it's just, it's just fun. And I like it. It it is an absolute delight. (laughs) So uh, yeah, I hope people, I hope people listen to that. And uh, that's that's it as far as plugging things goes for me. All right. Uh, well, we have a Facebook group. We have an Instagram page. Everybody can go check out. We have a Patreon, $5 a month. We do dumb shit on there all the time. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. We have an email. You can send us an email at horrorvomitpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're looking for more of me, you can go check out my dick on OnlyFans. <laughs> Whoa. Yep. Go to OnlyFans and search for Dr. Pissface. <laughs> D-R dash P-I-S-S-F-A-C-E. And yeah. Uh, if you enjoyed any of this bullshit that we do, uh, please go rate and review wherever podcasts are sold at your local mall's kiosk. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> Who gives a shit? <laughs> All right. Should we get out of here, Andy? Yeah, I just want to say aloha means hello and goodbye. Yep. Goodbye. (laughs) 